Welcome to the LMTP Low Man on the Totem Pole podcast. We are your tough love work friends, talking you through your workplace woes and spurring you on to your own personal career highlights reel. I'm your co-host, corporate trainer, trying hard to stay disposition positive and COVID negative, Katie McDonald, <laughs> and here's your host, coaching and development consultant, author of Low Man on the Totem Pole, Stop Begging for a Promotion, Start Selling Your Genius, and Midnight Rona Ryder, who has thankfully come out on the other side, Heather MacArthur. Oh, so glad you're coming out on the other side of Rona. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, uh, we are, we were lucky. We were really lucky. We had whatever people were calling out like mild symptoms, but they're just weird symptoms. They're not like the run of the mill. Like I got one thigh that's numb still and I can't smell anything. Like it's just the most random stuff, but I, we're grateful that we, we, we kind of just ripped the bandaid off. We didn't do it on purpose, but like the bandaid has been ripped off. Someone ripped our Band-Aid off and, and, and we, we kind of know, but that's, we can say that because we came out on the other side with like random weird leftover things, but not anything debilitating or, you know, life threatening. So thank goodness. Yes. Thank goodness. Indeed. So glad to have you back. <laughs> I got zero answers on any of this stuff. Like I, I don't know, like, and I'm, I'm such a Libra cause I'm like, well, I see that side of the perspective and I see that. Side. So I'm like, I am not the person I have no decisive point of action. I just think, I just wish people would think through things a little bit more versus I, I, I don't think a black and white answer is applicable in any of these situations. All of this is out of our control. Um, okay. I, I'm being told to wear a mask. So I feel out of control of my own sense of self at every time I walk out of my door, or I feel out of control because nobody is wearing a mask and I don't feel personally protected by the people around me. Yeah, there's two sides of this perspective, but either whichever side you're on, you feel a complete lack of control of, of, for everything around you. And well, that's, no, I, I think yeah. you've hit, you're hitting on something because, you know, it's funny. I was just doing a, a, a session, uh, a webinar around, uh, um, you know, like performance feedback during this time. So we'll make it more mm. work related to bring, okay. bring it back. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> um, we, uh, anyways, I was doing the, the webinar and I was saying like, as managers, I get it in the beginning, it was kind of a wait and see, wait and see. And I'm, I'm always a, even in the wait and see kind of stuff, the minute that I'm harshly reminded as to how uncertain the world is, because it was always this uncertain. Last year, mm -hmm. it was this uncertain. Every day, it's this uncertain. It's just because now we're facing things that we haven't seen before, we're, it's like the, the, the bumpers on uncertain have been taken off and we can't pretend like life is predictable right now. But life was never predictable. It has never once been a certain place to live in. And like you, you get in your car, you don't know who you're driving next to on the road. It is an uncertain scenario every time you get in the car. But as humans, we look for patterns so that we can kind of tell ourselves to calm the fuck down and focus on getting things done. And so it's almost like those horse race blinders that the patterns are like those horse race blinders to not look at the stands and see that there's tons of shit going on right now. Mm -hmm. This pandemic, everything else that's come of it is, is, is unfamiliar to us. So the blinders are ripped off and we're like, holy crap, there's like a stand full of people. And maybe I want to go over here. Maybe. And I'm not just on a racetrack. There's a whole world out there. Like that's, that's what's happening right now. So my, my point in that was you should always, when the sea is storming, you don't just sit and batten down the hatches and get batted around waiting for the storm to end. You always have your eyes set on where you're going to sail to. 
even if right now waiting out the storm is the right thing to do, you shouldn't forget where is it that I'm trying to get to? Because you need a bigger goal than just surviving chaos. You get burned out so fast just mm-hmm. trying to survive chaos. So I always say, set a destination. Where do you want to be six months from now? What do you want to be able to say that you accomplished? And don't worry if you can't guarantee that you'll get there. Your mind needs to know you're headed somewhere. Through this entire thing, like I had trips that got canceled that I had booked um, in the spring. And so as soon as they got canceled and I saw like the airline, I think I was with Delta and they were like, you know, there's no penalties for change or whatever. I went ahead and booked us vacations for the fall uh, because, I mean, we had it, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not losing money and the, and the airline air fees were, you know, cheap. And sure. I, I, we had no idea what was going to happen. And I was like, but screw it. I like the idea of thinking we're vacationing in the fall, whether or not it actually happens. And it's, you know, signs are pointing to no one's going to let Americans in, <laughs> into another country. <laughs> True. So, um, um, but, uh, you know, I'm like, I, I want, that's the life I want. So why not focus on building towards that? And I trust myself to adjust as needed. Like, I know how to deal with disappointment. I know how to deal with being, you know, kicked in the teeth by life. But I, you know, I'd rather just practice being hopeful, not blind, but hopeful. And it, you know, it got me motivated. It kept me, you know, I had, you know, my, my sister and I were doing these virtual workout videos and I was staying focused. I was homeschooling my stepson and working and, and, um, you know, for the most part, really just, I'm not going to treat this with just panic. I'm just going to assume things are going to work out because in my life, what I've noticed is when I do react with panic, afterwards i'm like well if i hadn't just been panicking the entire time there was a lot i could have actually enjoyed if i had just assumed things would work out so that's where my mindset was and then when the george floyd video came out i just i went into and i've been depressed before and i have post-traumatic stress disorder so i know the difference between i'm just sad about shit um no i went into a depression like i just Mm -hmm. one because i was like when it happened uh, you know, immediately I was, you know, look, I'm not going to say that I pay attention to Black Lives Matter and the, and the, the, the violence that has happened to uh, blacks with, with cops, brutality and things like that. Um, and that's not saying like I'm against cops either. There's, I'm sure there's, you know, I'm against anybody who's abusing power. And unfortunately, there's a systemic racism in our country. And that filters into, you know, the police have a, a center of power. And so, the fact, you know, when people say like, oh, you know, and I, I get it, they're going to say all lives matter. And, and, and I'm going to go ahead and just put a stake in the stand or stake in the stand. Where do you put a stake in? Put uh, a stake in the put, a, put a flag on the moon. <laughs> put a stake in. I, <laughs> your ass. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> in the ground for the love, in the ground, I'm gonna put a stake in the ground and just say, and, you know, it, even it, back with Trayvon Martin and, you know, like, look, let's go back all the way to the to the advent of slavery. But but when, when, when Trayvon Martin happened and all the things that kind of and he was not clearly not the first, but he was the one that was like kind of the first that hit the news waves where everybody had to pay attention, not just the people that were locally there or 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 black Americans who were aware of it because it, it hit home for them. Mm-hmm. It was this you know, awareness. And I was, you know, aware of the fact that they, that the world was different for them uh, when they get pulled over by cops. And then, you know, you had the gen, you know, think of a black female getting pulled over, what her world is like, because you're, you're doubling down on the vulnerability that she's walking into. Right. So, you know, I just, anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of 
all over the place here, but I, I, you know, you take that week when I saw the George Floyd thing and it was just so visible. And to me, the, and I can't remember the cop's name. Um, and I don't want it like for him to be shrouded in like anonymity because he doesn't fucking deserve that. But yeah, show, I keep showing something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, the look on his face of just arrogance and, 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 you know, I, I don't know what's going on in his head, but to me, it came across as just like glee. And I just, to watch another human com- be completely disconnected and, and no, not completely disconnected because he just ex- exhibited signs of like pleasure in what he was doing. So he wasn't disconnected from what George Floyd's experience was with unable to breathe. Like you could just, he just looked like he was, it's not like he was oblivious and he was looking around and not paying attention. Like he had that smirk on his face and it was like to watch that on video. And I just remember thinking, please don't let this be another news blurb. Like let this be something that people can't possibly, what does it say about our humanity? Like it's one thing to play ignorant and go, I don't see it. So it must not be happening. And that that's not great. That's not good at all. But I can I can at least go, you know, okay, ignorance is bliss kind of thing that people are are not seeing this. But like, no, you're seeing it. You're witnessing it with you. How do you turn away from this and pretend like it's not happening? Like you can't. And not and- to be cynical about it, but we saw that it was happening and had no other distractions. This is coming on the news program, uh, on news television and, you know, across our Twitter at times where there are no sports being played. There are no Mm. movies to go to. There is no uh, fresh television content. We are closed down from, we've been a month and a half closed down in, um, in coronavirus uh, shelter in place when this comes across. Uh, so we really we have no excuse not to look away. It's not like we can say, oh, well, you know, that's just another part of the news cycle. This is this demands our full attention at kind of a, a volatile time where everybody's feeling out of control, uh, you know, anyway. No, and you're and you're right. And, you know, previous to 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 George Floyd is Ahmaud Aubrey. Yes. And uh, I just remember when it happened and I could see the video and the video was grainy or whatever, but you just, you saw that, like, it just feels like, I remember thinking like, I should be doing more, but I'm not like, you know, it's a little bit, I could sit there and say like, I should be doing more. And then I go and I want, I have to be honest, like I go and I start doing my things to do list and, 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 you know, I think of it, but I don't do anything. And when the George Floyd thing hit, I was like, it just, I just had this moment of being disgusted with myself of like, okay, but at at some point, you know, my mom's, my mom's a a war survivor from World War II, but she's German. So she's a little girl at the time, but she's German surviving more. And so, but I always would hear, she's very cautionary of like uh, the shame that, that her family carries with what happened, what she saw after the war as a little girl. And, you know, when you lose the war, and, you know, Russians, and she was on Easter. So, you know, it wasn't an easy going for her. Jeez. But she always had this kind of thing of, like, no one wins in war. And as a little girl growing up and realizing what Germany got themselves into is, like, how, you know, how do we not ignore what's happening so that it evolves to this level of just horrible humanity against humanity, you know? But when all this stuff happened with George Floyd and I just was like, 
I'm not going to turn away from all the information. To your point, we weren't distracted and people were using social media like never before. It's like, I'm not going to turn away. I'm going to read this stuff. I'm going to consume this stuff. And the more that I did, you know, and they started talking about there's a difference between being a non-racist and an anti-racist. Like it hit me like a ton of bricks, how non-active I've been. Like I'm reactive as in someone says something shitty in front of me. I'm going to say something, something bad happens in the news. We're going to go, you know, post a jog and support the cause. Right. But not actively doing anything against it. And I'm going to be honest right now. Like I, I, the most active that I've been has been trying to, through my writing, through my, you know, those types of things and, trying to use that platform to really be better at what I'm communicating and actively communicate about these types of things. I haven't marched. I'm going to be honest. I haven't marched. I haven't, I, you know, I've thrown money towards some, 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 some organizations, but I sit here and go, I don't, I, I'm not done enough. And I'm seeing people out there and you see people in Portland right now. And you just go like, they're on the front lines of this stuff. And I, I don't know the answer and I don't, I don't, uh, I just want to sit there and be honest about that. I mean, and there's, there's two ways to, to look at that as well. I have been really cognizant in the last couple of months, you know, as um, all of the events that have precipitated the, uh, the rise and re-rise of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, have been coming to a head, how much media I've been consuming, A, that is primarily white voices. I became a lot more conscious of that. And B, that I started hearing all of these white voices uh, suddenly ring out in um, uh, ring out in universal condemnation and finger pointing back at their own listeners and viewers about how dare you not be involved more and sooner and uh, more financially and why aren't you marching and making it sound like they have always been involved in the fight. Uh, uh-huh. which is frustrating, uh, me being a white person myself, I don't feel super qualified to put forth any particular wisdom on the subject. And I, I fight with myself. I am very solidly um, on the side of Black Lives Matter. And I have had the opportunity to uh, march in a peaceful march and really debated, is it worth, why am I posting something about having marched is it Mm. worth saying anything about where i am putting extra funds when i have them to the causes that i believe in who am i doing that for am i doing that to am i doing that to actually amplify uh the cause for the people who are being less seen because i know that i as a white person in some circles am more seen or am I just doing that to uh, assuage my own ego by saying, look, I'm doing something great. Yeah. And it's tough because you, you know, on one hand, I think there's just been this message of like, just do something for God's sakes. Like just right. get off the couch <laughs> and do something. And my, you know, what's interesting is I had the situation where I sat on a, I was in a um, virtual conference and, and you actually sat in on one of the sessions, the, the session that I did, but I was. A- yes. And, um, and, you know, I, I, <laughs> this is going to be, this is okay. So I, I'm being honest about everything. So when I, when I signed up for that conference and then the, I was seeing all the media and they were like, here's all the other speakers. I didn't look at any of the other speakers because mm. one, I was like, I don't, I don't, I do that to a certain extent to not freak myself out. And mm. I just want to go in and do my thing. 
like anytime I go deliver stuff, I don't spend a lot of time prepping or, or like, this is really setting me up to sound good. Like I, (laughs) I need to go in and I need to do the work and I need to do a certain level of not freaking myself out unless it was going to be mine. And mine was towards the end of it all. And so I went in, I did it. And there was a gentleman that came on and he, this was before George Floyd. So this is before the, the black lives matter movement blew up. So, so globally. And, um, and everybody was more talking about coronavirus than anything else. And so I got on there and I was talking about career and he got on there and, you know, I guess he's, he's a strong advocate before even all this stuff happened for like racial equality or equity and, and diversity. And so he asked me the question of, I forgot how he phrased it, but he said something around the idea of like, well, what do you do? when you're dealing with people that have, and he, he was kind of bringing up, like, let's say going into the South and they have such, such different viewpoints that to you, you find, I'm using my own words, disgusting or whatever, but you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I just felt like he was describing like maybe the KKK or something. And, mm-hmm. um, and I said something along the lines of like, I have to decide whether or not I'm there to change people and influence them or whether or not I'm there for my ego to fight the battle that I'm angry about. And, you know, if you want to change people, you've got to meet them where they're at and, and fight the way that they think, but not fight them because people feel that. And if you're fighting them, but your goal is to change them, people don't change for people who they don't trust. And so I said something along those lines, like I've got to not go in there with the ego and I'm not saying that it's easy, but I've got to put the purpose of my work at a higher level than being right even though, you know, I don't agree with them and they are, are, are very much, you know, someone that, so anyways, we had that discussion. I thought I, I handled the answer pretty well. When he delivered the, the question, I kind of had this little like back moment of like this, uh, this kind of feels like he was throwing a gotcha question at me and I didn't know how to take it because something about his tone, I just kind of was like, yeah, and you, you hmm. heard it. And I kind of came into it with like, I'm more than comfortable to talk about this. And, uh, but I just kind of felt like there, I don't know how to explain it. I just, there was something in me that my instinct was there was an aggression in, in the tone. And I, hmm. you know, I, I just answered my thing and, you know, we went along and, you know, he, he took the answer. So then he asked to follow me on LinkedIn and I was following him on LinkedIn. And then this George Floyd stuff happened and he posted something on there. And I was in this thing of like, I need to be active and he posted something of like, are we really, you know, doing anything to help? I don't even remember what the post was. And I put on there because I thought like, okay, he must be up to stuff because he's been doing this work for a while. And I said, you know what? I go, I'm, I'm all in. Like, what can I do? And his first response was, you need to recognize your privilege. I thought to myself, you don't even know my background. You don't know my racial background. Like you, you're assuming that I'm, and then I went to, um, look, I'm not some old racist white dude that had like a, a spiritual awakening in my mid forties. Like, like <laughs> I went through this whole thing and then I went, you know what? Like I need to get over myself for being upset about this because this is exactly what they're saying. Like people aren't taking the time to really sit with stuff and I'm getting caught up in his delivery and not the message. And like, could I honestly say that there's no room for me to sit back and reflect? I'm like, no, there is room for me to sit back and reflect. I don't like his delivery. Not sure I'm digging this dude, but, <laughs> but I, <laughs> but it I, provided the opportunity. Yeah. And so I kind of came back and I said, look, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, and I, and this was all happening kind of in, and I thought, cause maybe someone can read my reactions and kind of 
that'll help guide them through this a little bit maybe too is I'm going to be honest like I, I that irritated me I got offended and and you know but I I'm I need to focus on what's really here and I need, I do need to self-reflect, but you know, what else could, and it it didn't really go into what else could I, could I do? Mm -hmm. And, uh, it just kind of stuck there. And so I, I took that and I was like, look, I'm, I'm going to educate, I'm going to read, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to the people that I know and just say, I'm thinking about them that I, that, that are, that are black, that, that I would assume would know that of me, but I kind of also had this thing of like, and I've been trying to find this lane of how to show up as an ally in this scenario. And the most comparison that I have is that, and I've, I've shared this on the show, it's definitely in my book, but when I was serving in the military, I, I was uh, sexually assaulted. And, you know, this is a commentary on our society because this is way before the Me Too movement, as well as the military and how it run. There was never a question that I was going to go report it. There was never like, who the hell would report it? Because you know damn well you're the one that's going to get screwed in this. Right. And so you know, you I went through and I've got PTSD from it. I've gone to therapy, blah blah blah. And you know, I don't mean to be dismissive of it, especially for people who have gone gone through it themselves. I just you know that's not the point of the story. But flash forward years later, there's a documentary that came out. I want to say in 2009 called The Invisible War. And, um, you know, look, I've shared my story with, with women and, and those, you know, I've had women be you know, outraged for me, compassionate to me, but I watched this documentary and there was a point where one of the women who they're telling the stories of them being sexually assaulted in the military and the woman you're watching on film, she gets up and she's speaking to a room full of soldiers and the majority of them are men and she's sharing this. And I had this immediate fear for her. Like I just was sitting there and I know I'm watching a documentary and supposedly, you know, she made it out of here safe, but I was on the edge of my chair and I was so concerned for her. Like, Oh my God, you're going to say this in front of all these men. So she tells her story. And at the end of it, these men start to stand up and I am physically like, Oh my God. Like, I, I don't even remember what I was thinking, but just scared for her. And these men got up and they just start telling her they're sorry. They're so sorry. This shouldn't have happened to her. This was horrific. Those guys were horrible. And they're basically denouncing the, the man who did this to her. And I, I had this, it just felt like this like warm shower. Like I've never seen a group of men angry about another man treating a woman poorly. And, but I've seen lots of women angry about it, but I've never seen a group of men in uniform. Like to me, that was so healing and it didn't fix everything, but it gave me hope because I'm like, if that is, if me, if I now know that it's not just, so, you know, men can be assholes and some are worse than others, but all men are kind of in on it. That's what I was raised to believe. That's what I experienced. To, but to see that, like, no, there's actually people who are outraged that this happened. They're disgusted. And you can see it on their face. Like, that's where I'm like, I realized I'm not, I'm not a racist but I've not been anti-racist and even my friends who I've been there for them in situations and like, what a dick or this, this and this, but I don't know if they've seen my outrage because I think to a certain extent, maybe it's because as a woman, you're kind of taught that kind of some things in life are shitty and mm -hmm. racism exists and sexism exists. And we all just got to hunker down and figure out how to, you know, you know, pull up our bootstraps and survive it. And I remember telling my friend after, after all this kind of stuff would happen, and I, I was talking to her on the phone, and I said, I really got to raise my standards. 
because I've witnessed you go through shit and I've been there to kind of console you. But I, I, I didn't get outraged. Like, no, this shit doesn't get to happen. We're going to stand up. And like the Me Too movement kind of taught me that because I didn't do any of that as a woman. But when I saw the Me Too movement, everybody starts to speak out. I'm like, these women are so brave. Like they're, they're actually denouncing all this stuff and they're fighting. And I kind of was more of this attitude of like, how do you not let this shit destroy you? And you kind of muscle through it, but not necessarily this idea that you can actively change it. And I, that was like the biggest light bulb. I haven't fixed it yet. I don't know the answer yet. I'm, I'm at, I keep thinking. And like I said, I'm using my writing. I'm trying to, in the training that I do around in the workplace, around cultural intelligence and bias and all that stuff, trying to think through those things and making sure that I'm, I'm making an impact that way. But it actually, the me too, the, the reaction, all the black lives matter, um, even, you know, and I, I, I think seeing people that they're marching and they're doing this, it just kind of gives me this, how do we really make an impact? And I know the voting is like the most critical thing we can do right now, but it's not the only thing, but it's one of the most critical things of like putting people, not just the president, because people are, you know, we, we get all glamorized by that, but really understanding your government structure and voting for the local law enforcement, voting for the the, the legal positions, the justice positions, the, the, anything that you can, you can vote on from that, that local level. That is so the judges that are sitting in place, like all that. I don't, you know, I have to be honest, like I didn't pay attention to that stuff. And when I'd go vote, I'd kind of go like, which, you know, real quick, let me scan and let me try to make an informed decision. (laughs) But I'm not making an informed decision. I haven't in the past. And I think that's what's so critical this time around is we got to wake up and not be so blind as to the, the power that we do hold that doesn't require a whole lot of radical investment, energy, risk-taking. It's just educating yourself before you go vote and then actually going and voting. You know what? I want to pull out a commonality in those two analogies that you were, that, that you just walked us through. The first is what you saw in that documentary that felt so changing for you, which is a woman at a podium speaking in a room full of men about a traumatic experience that you saw one way and thought would be uh, accepted or um, or interpreted one way in that room, but that uh, that that woman that spoke up uh, that had suffered so much at the hands of other military male personnel found allies in that room. Yeah. Somebody invited her to the podium. Yes. In every case, I think you've hit on where we can find a sense of empowerment. Everybody has some level of, uh, we, in some cases, it is privilege by virtue of the color of our skin or our gender. In some cases, it is the goodwill and the uh, professional reputation that we have worked damn hard to garner from doing years of whatever it is that we do well. But whatever our position is, where we have the opportunity to invite someone to the podium to give they are being the they're still being the brave person that is giving their story but you have made it possible for that story to be heard in whatever space you can do that in and in the voting analogy you just said it is more i mean more important than ever before as it always is at every voting juncture <laughs> um to to vote conscientiously and p- put the right person in that podium with our votes, 
we will put the right people at the podium that share the right stories and have the right emphasis um, and and steer us eventually at the local and the state and the federal level into the direction that we identify that we feel brings us to a better America because we are deciding to invite to the podium who we have the power to, to do that with. We have the power to do that with our votes as American citizens, and we have the power to do that uh, professionally where we have the opportunity to invite other people into the room or since there are no rooms anymore into the virtual meeting, uh, <laughs> into the room or into the Zoom. Um, Um, yeah, I, I, that is so striking. We, our, our empowerment lies in who we invite to the podium and recognize where we have that power to do that. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I think, thank you for catching that, catching that just realization, because I think I, I, I've got to imagine as I've talked to people, I think there's more you know, I, I think there's a lot of people. Here's my hope. I hope a lot of people are like me. <laughs> I, <I'm, laughs> me too. <laughs> um, I, I hope I, a lot of people are like you. <laughs> I, I thank you, but I, I I I mean that in the you know, as I was talking to a friend who was just you know, she's she's black and she was you know just venting about the you know anger and frustration that she has with things, and I said, I said I just. I go, I believe there's a lot of people out there like me, but you didn't know it because you only know me and I am only having conversations one-on-one with people and Mm. you're only hearing me talk about race. If something racially offensive happens to you and I come and support you, but you're not visibly. And so I go back to that experience of watching all those men stand up and kind of just send this like, and it, you know, this anger on behalf of this woman. And I just thought I needed to see that. I wish I would have seen that. And I bet you there were a lot of men in the military who would have been outraged knowing what happened to me, but no one knew what happened to me. And I was only talking to females about it. Cause why would I talk to a man about this? Because, mm-hmm. but there were no men actively talking about how, how disgusted they'd be about this. So when stuff would happen in the military that were, was, you know, uh, gender focused and assault on women and those types of things, I didn't hear men speak up with outcries of outrage, right? I'm sure they're there. I'm sure there's a lot of men who were disgusted by it and maybe didn't know what to do, but I didn't get to see them. All I saw was there's a system that's set up against me. I am on my own in this. And any woman who's supporting me she doesn't have any kind of power. The commander of the base was a female, and she basically admitted, and I'm, I got no respect for her for doing this, but basically, well, there's nothing I can do. And so I, I just, I sit there, and I, I you know, for, for people, I, I think I, that's what I would hope that other white people would, like, as much as I don't want to sit there and hear people go like, oh, look at all the wonderful things I did, and I don't think going around and shaming other people is getting us anywhere. Right. But to just go like, no, I'm outraged. Like, this is disgusting. I don't, and to mean it sincerely, and yes, it's not enough. Like, we need to take action. But I think there's some power in that. You know, I remember having a, a class where it was a female class. We were talking about negotiation, and it was women. And the guy the, the guy showed up, and I he didn't realize it was like a woman's group kind of thing. And he came in, and I was like, great. I thought it was awesome. I thought he knew, and he kind of wanted to come in and still learn. Um, but at one point I said something, we started talking about dress code and this place was like a really kind of, you know, hoodie kind of dress code, Google kind of environment. And all the women were 
dressed a little bit more professionally. All the dudes were in tennis shoes, jeans, and hoodies. And uh, we started talking about dress code. I said, what's the, you know, what's the difference? And old woman said, like, I don't feel comfortable if I showed up here in a hoodie and a sweatshirt or, you know, tennis shoes that I would be taken seriously. And the guy in the back kind of smart was like, what are you talking about? You know, like, that's, we wouldn't care. And I said, I get that you don't think you would, and maybe you wouldn't. I go, but women are treated differently. I said, I've never heard anyone say to a man, you know, that shirt's a little revealing. <laughs> and, like, and I'm like, no man has ever had that comment. We all kind of chuckle, but there's a reality in that. And I, 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 it goes back to, then you take that and you go to this white privilege thing. Like I've, I've never been held out of a room or had something done to me because we were white. It's so, the difference is, is they're, yeah, they're judging and yeah, we can all categorize each other and we might have some assumptions about each other, but at the end of the day, the power of decision-making, it sits with primarily white males in this country. And that's just the truth. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the idea of prejudice, like I might be prejudiced against you. Maybe I'm judging you because of the color of your skin or your age or whatever, your your gender. Like, But if I sit in a position of power and I have that prejudice and, and now I'm actively against you, that's that's the racism part is that I can pull triggers. You don't get to go to the podium. Right. Who's sitting there as an executive who's making decisions as to how policy is, is reinforced, what policies exist? You know, yeah, you can hire a whole front line full of diverse people, but if they're not getting up into those positions of power, then there's there's no way we're really going to stop racism. If we're talking about who we invite to the podium, I want to go back to your original example of uh, in the documentary, whoever it was, probably a white high ranking officer within the military that invited that woman to the podium to tell her story. Mm. He put it on the line. Yeah. You know, if if you had said, yeah, I'm willing to lose this job uh, if it means being on the right side of this and being your advocate. What are we what are we really willing to prioritize if we recognize our privilege, but then stay nice and warm and cozy within that privilege and don't do anything uh, to shake that up or shake up that uh, shake up whatever opportunity we have to invite people to the podium? What is it worth? And I want to make something, I really want to emphasize this because I think there's, there's people who aren't making moves because it's putting stuff on the line and they're afraid. I didn't speak up when I got sexually assaulted in the military because I didn't, I mean, I, I spoke up in different ways about how women were treated, but I didn't go and file a complaint of of what happened to me because I did not buy anything would happen that would make it better. And I a hundred percent believed that me speaking up would make shit harder for me. And so in that situation, and that's what I think keeps some of us, some of us were scared for ourselves. And some of it is we don't buy. And sometimes rightfully so that the system set up that even coming forward would set up the people who are, you know, being marginalized and being attacked for success. I'm hoping that this kind of blow up that we've had um, with Black Lives Matter and all the uh, protesting um, and, you know, that, that there's this thing of like, no, the system doesn't get to just be fucked up anymore. Like, we don't get to just sit and go like, well, you know, we've had, you know, racism's in the history and, you know, it's done. Like I used to, I even used to think like, well, all the old people are dying out that were racist. Like it's, you know, the youth isn't going to be that way. But yeah, that's not true. 
Apparently that's not true. Yeah, that's not happening. And if anything that we've seen is, you know, it, with all this stuff blowing up right now is is for us to go like, okay, like it's not eradicated from this country. Like we, we, we have work to do and we can't just sit back. And I sit there on several occasions and going, raise your standards, Heather, raise your standards, expect more. Because if you expected more, you would do more. It is possible. If we collectively stand up and bring the right people to the podium and say, no, this is this is okay. This is an opportunity to share your story and to amplify those stories. Yeah, I think I I, I like the word throwing in there for for our in terms of responsibility. And I think responsibility to take action is 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 what we have to because I could sit there and go like, oh my God, I, I responsibility is like I'm tattooed on my you know, that would be my tramp stamp if I had one. It's like, <laughs> um, but um, you know. a responsibility tramp stamp. <laughs> Let's just sit with that for a second. I mean, I would get it in, in, in Chinese letters that probably mean things, but I just, I would do it. Those seem like the two most antithetical things. Let me just, on a whim, go get a super cool, tra- super slutty tramp stamp. Yeah. Of responsibility. Nothing wrong with the tram step. I'm just saying, if I were to get one, it would be responsibility. But I, 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 I think this, like, uh, I did an article a while back, like maybe a month ago, and I was talking to this woman who kind of had built up her own business and whatever. And we were talking about, like, what she does now. And, you know, this, this, she does a lot to kind of give back in community or whatever. And uh, basically it was like, how are you, she kind of talked about how do you stay resilient? Cause she'd kind of gone through nine 11 post nine 11 with the uh, businesses and how things, and she just kind of went through the t- 2008 downturn and kind of kept her bu- business resilient. We were talking about that. And she was like, we talked, we said build community afterwards mm. is what we talked about is like, yeah, afterwards you got to build community so that it's easier for people to be able to rise up. And we were coming from a business standpoint this was before all this other stuff kind of blew up. It was more of like, how do you help others, whoever they may be, kind of rise up and make it, if you were able to, to, to kind of work through the broken system and survive and thrive, how do you help a community do the same and maybe do it faster and easier? And I think when I, when I hear that word responsibility, it's like not just respo- you know, be responsible for your own actions, but also be responsible on behalf of doing your best to, to, to elevate mankind. Like where's that level of sense of responsibility. And I think sometimes people get hunkered down into, you know, it's a doggy dog world and I'm just going to take care of mine. And when I go into organizations, one of the biggest things that I see that are issues for people, executives who are struggling to like make it in an organization, the number one thing, it's not for everybody. Not everybody has this issue. But the number one thing that comes up with people that I coach is their identity to territory is too small. Hmm. And what I mean by that is they will say, well, we this and they that. And it's always some level of territory they see themselves responsible for. So if I have a team of five, that's my we. But then everybody else is a they. So then I'm like, well, if you want to be a C-suite executive or whatever their career goal is, you know that everyone in this company is going to have to become a we. They can't be a they. You've got to expand your sense of territory. And I think that's the biggest part is that we're so quick to go they versus us, we versus them. And when we do that, we we shorten our capacity to build community. We shorten our capacity to actually make impact. And, it, you know, I, that's, what's so, that's, that's what sucks so much about people identifying by skin color or gender. I think that's what we're seeing in some of these protests where you see this, this diverse population showing up to support this cause. 
And it's because there's the same set of values showing up. And it's like, how do you, how do you start to fight for those values versus fighting against some preconceived notion as to someone because of their race or their age or whatever? Like, let's, you know, what are your values? And can we get on board with each other for that? And can we vote to support our values? I believe that there are a large, there's a small population of anti-racists and there's a small population of racists left. And there's a crap ton of non-racists there. And we're not being vocal and we're not, we're not voting responsibly and we're not showing up as anti-racist and, and maybe we don't have to be the full tilt anti-racist, but let's, are we voting intelligently? Are we speaking up and inviting people to the podium wherever we can? Are we doing things that are actually not that hard to do if we just believe that we mattered enough? Wow. <laughs> I mean, I I see the uh, the flag waving in the breeze, superimposed behind you. I think that's your campaign uh, mess. <laughs> what are you running for in the next election? Let me find you on the ballot. No one's voting for me after I basically just laid out what. I'm, well, how crappy I've been. being being authentic and really tallying up what we where we have had opportunities and missed them and learning from those, I think, is a huge step towards realizing what levers we can pull. Now I'm mixing metaphors. What levers we can pull to bring people to the podium like they're on some kind of a vending machine? Yeah. <laughs> Aren't we all though? <laughs> So I, I just think if we're all committed to doing the right thing, and right now the information that's showing up is letting us know the right thing is doing more than just being a good human being. The right thing is speaking up. The right thing is reaching out and trying to help people get to the podium. The right thing is voting responsibly. Like, let's not sit here and beat ourselves up for what we may have not done up to right. this point, but we are getting educated. This is like that growth mindset when you get... or. Um, Maya Angelou, who she's saying, when you know better, you do better. Like we're knowing that like you can't ignore, we're hearing people uh, explain to us what they're looking for. Somebody made a comment of like, you know, oh, that's nice that the stores are supporting black lives or whatever. And, and, you know, helping people get into to better work positions. But, you know, we'd like to not get shot for being right. black. And, and that sticks to me. Like, yeah, there's some of these nice things that we're doing, but I think police br brutality and the fact that it's 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 not a police human being that's the problem it's the power dynamic and the amount of power that police have that is set on the stage of a racist country with that that racism is still systemic in our in our in our history and it shows up in the way the decisions are made and it's got tentacles that reach deep into how housing is done and all that type of stuff to ignore that is ignorant at this point. And like to, for us to go, I don't know the answer, but for us to actively put our energy towards, but an answer we're going to find. But I think that's a good note for, for this little diatribe that I've been on to, to come to an end. We'll have more conversations moving forward. I love our conversations, and we want you to join the conversation, too. If you have a question or a story that you want to share that has to do with what we talked about on this show or any of our previous episodes, or if you want to hear us discuss something that's on your mind, or if you just want to tell us what you think of what you heard today, tweet us at LMTP Consulting, message us on Instagram, low man on the totem pole, all one word, or email us at lmtppodcast at gmail.com. 
Thank you guys so much for joining us. Stay safe, wake up, invite people to the podium. Yes, I like that. I like that. (laughs) See you next time. Bye. Bye.